1: And good afternoon, everyone. And as you just heard uh, VOCM's Noah Shepard report, uh, there's been some breaking news here, and we're going to share some of that with you before we get to our guest today on On Target. But the Chief Electoral Officer and Commissioner for Legislative Standards has been suspended. That's Bruce Chalk, an acting Chief Electoral Officer and Commissioner for Legislative Standards, has been named, um, and uh, Justice Minister and Attorney General John Hogan is making himself available to media this afternoon at 2 o'clock. We'll have the latest for you on that. In the meantime, I have Richard Duggan with me, and he was uh, doing a lot of reporting Mm -hmm. from the legislature in the last session of the House, and this was coming up rather frequently, uh, some pretty serious questions about... Uh, Bruce Chalk, and Mm -hmm. uh, of course there was this report as well, uh, allegations of harassment and bullying Mm -hmm. within the Chief Electoral Officer's office. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what makes this so significant. So Linda, we first
2: started hearing about this about a month and a half, two months ago in the House of Assembly, and it started with questions from the opposition when uh, they got up and they asked simply about this report, this mystery report at the time that we really didn't know much about, um, and it was the opposition and it was Paul Lane that really w- were raising the issue about what they had been hearing about um, alleged insta- instances of harassment, bullying at Elections NL. And really over the next couple of weeks what we saw happening was we, we couldn't really get any answers about whether this report even existed. All it was was, was hearsay about, well, we've heard that this report exists. Um, and then finally, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was confirmation from government that, yes, this report exists. Uh, yes, it has been received. But again, there was nothing else really to it uh than that they wouldn't release any details about what the report was really about uh, again we're just going on what we had heard from the questions that were raised by the opposition and from uh paul lane at that point um and now as we just heard from noah Shepard, uh, apparently uh some repercussions from that report as we heard uh, bruce chaff the legis uh uh, Chief electoral officer and commissioner for legislative, legislative uh, standards has been suspended um, while they do an independent review of the findings of that uh, investigation. And now so effective immediately, Travis Woolley, um, who was previously in the position of assistant chief electoral officer, will er, will serve in, a, in an acting role uh, in that position, I guess, until that um, investigation is carried out. Um, but as we said, John Hogan available to media at 2 o'clock, and I guess we'll find out more um, about potentially what was in the report or what has led to this situation today now uh, when he speaks to media.
1: And of course, there's no word yet as to whether or not this um, action being taken today is directly, result- uh, is a direct result of this whistleblower report.
2: Yes, that's correct. Uh, there is no mention in this news release that we received, by the way, at 101 is when that came in. So very breaking news here, uh, just having our first reads over it. But yes, you're right. There is no uh, direct mention of that report, uh, although I think some of the lines can be drawn there in terms of the timing of this as to whether or not they might be related. Uh, But again, that's one of the questions I guess that we'll uh, be finding out now at 2 o'clock.
1: And it'd be most interesting to hear what uh, is contained within the report and whether or not they will be uh, releasing the information. The Premier had previously indicated Mm -hmm. that yes, they intend to release the report and an unredacted um, uh, version of the citizens' representatives' report was referred when government finally acknowledged Mm -hmm. that it had in fact received it uh, to the House of Assembly Management Commission. now, normally uh, reports that are carried out by the citizens' representative are are, are protected uh, to a degree because there are you know mm-hmm. personal information in there and there are repercussions for the people involved so that 's not highly unusual, but because this happens to involve the chief electoral officer, there are ramifications here that I guess it, that adds to all of the questions raised about As we know, there were a lot of questions about the legitimacy Mm -hmm. of the last uh, election, so we'll find out more is what I'm (laughs) trying to say at 2 o'clock. Richard, you're heading down to Confederation Building?
2: Yes, I will be down at Confederation Building. Uh, I will be one of the reporters there to speak with John Hogan. And again, Linda, as you mentioned, there are questions with this that don't that don't just stretch back in terms of finding out about this report. Like you said, there are questions about this that could stem all the way back to the 2021 election uh, that, as everyone knows, is uh, quite controversial in in and of itself. So again, lots to find out, and hopefully now at two o'clock we'll have some answers.
1: Richard Duggan, thank you very much. You've got a lot of work ahead of you. Uh, Thanks for this. Thank you, Linda. Um, So we will keep you up to date on this latest development. Once again, for those who are just joining us, Chief Electoral Officer and Commissioner for Legislative Standards. Uh, Bruce Chalk has been suspended, and an acting um, uh, Chief Electoral Officer and Commissioner for Legislative Standards has been named. And um, John Hogan, Justice Minister, will uh, go before the microphones at 2 o'clock. VOCM's Richard Duggan will be there. Well, back to the show for a moment. In recent months, the Transportation Safety Board released reports into two fatal fishing incidents that had some remarkable similarities. In May of 2020, the Sarah Ann departed St. Lawrence never to be heard from again. The four crew members were eventually recovered. And the TSB's only recommendation was that fishing vessels be registered with the Transportation Safety Board before being licensed by DFO. Last week, the TSB released its report into the sinking of the Island Lady off the southeast coast of Labrador in September of 2021. That tragedy claimed the lives of two young fishermen. It was revealed that the Island Lady did not have an EPIRB or emergency um, Emergency locator beacon, as as they're uh, also known. The sinking resulted in the distribution of EPIRBs among fishing enterprises in the region. And uh, once again, the subsequent TSB report found that a large number of commercial fishing vessels are not registered with the TSB. Well, my guest today is a maritime safety advocate and member of CNL, Merv Wiseman. Hello.
0: Good afternoon, Linda. Thank you for... uh Speaking on this issue with me?
1: Yes, not a problem. And sorry for the wait there, but uh, when breaking news oh. happens, you can yeah. rely on us to uh, share the information, yeah. and we'll have more throughout the course of the day. Well, two tragedies, two very sim- similar circumstances: vessels that suddenly sank with little to no warning that we know of. What likely happened there?
0: Well, yeah, it's it's a question that's not. A lot of people, including the Transport Safety Board, in the course of their investigation have been able to to answer, Elena, uh, clearly a, a catastrophic event um, happened. Um, exactly the details leading up to that, uh, we don't know at this stage. We may never know. Um, but uh, suffice to say that uh, th- th- it's not the only ones. Uh, there's uh, We're losing count of these over the years, over the decades and so on. In fact, uh, in the Transport uh, Safety Board press release, they alluded to the fact that there were, I think, something like 15 similar incidents to the Island Lady uh, since 2015, uh, resulting in 35 fatalities. And I do know that in their press release um, after the investigation and recommendation from the and they indicated from 2018, 2021, a three year period uh, across the country, uh, there were as many as uh, 45 fatalities, uh, the highest rate uh, that's been seen in the last 20 years. So, uh, we, we we know that uh, uh, it 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 flies in the face of what we would think should make better sense than that because in today's um, modern technology state-of-the-art uh, Technology that we have available for alerting, uh, distress uh, calling, and searching, and so on and so forth, there really should be a reduction of it. In fact, uh, what we're seeing is an increase rate, an, an alarming increase rate, and uh, it's 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 created uh, some some serious concern within the industry and within the public domain, quite frankly.
1: So uh, was there any uh, sense on, um, you know, some of the mitigating factors there, you know, vessel size, um, the size of the catch, the type of the catch, weather conditions, uh, any of those kinds of elements that, uh, uh, you know, led people to get a better understanding of what may have happened?
0: Well, probably all of the above, if you will. Uh, The uh, Transport Safety Board uh, talked about um, a number of things but uh, they focused uh, a lot on stability issues around uh, especially the Sierra and and uh, similarly uh, with the with the island lady um you know there the, there's no stability uh, data uh, based for for these two vessels and in fact uh, there were some laboratory uh, testing by the transport safety board in the course of the investigation of the Sierra Ann and they indicated there could be as many as uh, 270 similar vessels to the Sierra Anne that's out there without uh, you know stability uh, testing uh, basically telling us that uh, we don't know uh, exactly what the conditions are of these vessels when are, when or not to, uh, you know, we can expect uh, so, something catastrophic t- to happen. In fact, they c- conjectured in the Sirhan investigation, conjectured to the, the family that uh, the Sirhan could have simply um, turned over right into harbor uh, without having to proceed to sea, given its uh, stability issues. So, so that's there. That's that's a, a glaring issue that. Uh, are clearly is not uh, is not being addressed um, how it's going to be addressed uh, we we don't know at this point in time but I think uh, you know to uh, go back to the idea that the um, Sarah Hand in particular in that recommendation and there was no recommendation, by the way, in the Class 3 investigation by the Transport Safety Board in the uh, Island Lady. But the Class 4 investigation, which requires uh, some some findings be published as well as a the recommendation, the, the only recommendation was the issue of registration or, in other words, the lack of uh, coordination and communications between uh, two key uh, transport uh uh, t- uh, transportation and uh, transport uh, and and, uh, and fish management, uh, two big federal agencies that really has got a lot of influence and impacts on fishing, and, and safety. Uh, simply not coordinating well enough to to get the registration piece uh, correct. I mean, and, I-,
1: and uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we are overdue for a little break right now. But I want to explore that a little bit more and the, this whole notion of st- stability issues when we come back after the break. My guest today on on Target is maritime safety advocate Merv Wiseman. We'll be back right after this.
2: Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at one on your VOCM.
1: My guest today on On Target is maritime safety advocate Merv Wiseman. And uh, before the break, Merv, you had mentioned stability issues, especially as it related to the Sarah Ann. What sort of factors lead to uh, stability problems on board vessels?
0: well you know i mean it, it it's a delicate balance uh loading of any vessel and it, it's important because of that to understand you know the vessel uh, characteristics and unless you do a, a formalized um stability testing arrangements you simply don't know the limitations and what you're doing you don't know if you're overloading if you're loading improperly in terms of uh, you know how the cargo is uh, is laid out and all these kinds of things uh, unfortunately it, you know stability testing is not something that was part and parcel of, of you know the structural arrangements around the construction of uh, small fishing vessels in particular small fishing vessels and uh, somewhat medium-sized vessels for that that matter and so consequently there's an awful lot of vessels out there probably i would say the the majority of small vessels that are out there you know we just simply don't understand the characteristics of the vessels because that test is not required now there are new regulations of course and i think effective uh since july 2018 any new construction vessels are required to have that testing and that booklet available if you will but uh, those that have constructed before that uh, is basically recommended to have it but not necessarily required by law to do it. So it's a question of trying to promote the awareness, uh, uh, you know, to the vessel owners that they should do this so they could better understand it. I mean, clearly, if the centre of gravity of the vessel moves from the, you know, from your, your lower part of the of the vessel hull uh, higher, uh, then it could just flip uh, in seconds and without warning and so on if it's, uh, if it's improperly loaded. So it's about as simple as simplest way i can put it i guess in layman's terms but uh, uh clearly it's uh an issue that is it it's, it's been haunting uh you know the fishing industry for a long time and it's going to continue among other things how we go about doing these uh, stability testing i mean is another issue i think uh there's there's concern there's been concern expressed out there among the industry uh operators that um you know it's a costly affair it could cost you know, for something like the Sierran, for example, um, as much as uh nine ten thousand maybe twelve thousand dollars to get that stability test done, who can afford that and you know the fish harvesters are are concerned uh, about that issue and worried that it that would be inflicted upon them as time goes by but uh, you know it's, it's not i don 't think it 's a preoccupation that they should be. You know that they should be a uh, concerned and worried about. You know, let's get this this work done, and and let's worry about how it's going to be paid for. Because I believe there's ways and means of doing it without hitting the uh, hitting the fish harvesters over the head in areas where they just simply can't uh, can't do this
1: vessel length has always been uh, an issue or has been in recent decades anyway and I can remember when some major changes were made to the the length of fishing vessels and all of a sudden you saw these snub nodes boats look like big mm-hmm. corks in the water as opposed to some of these longer streamlined vessels and uh, to my eye at the time I was remember thinking wow like why are all these boats so weird looking you know uh, but it was trying to accommodate the realities of uh, making a living on the water with these regulations that were put in place by DFO. Um, what was the purpose behind changing vessel
0: lengths? Absolute insanity. That's the only way I can explain it. And and now, of course, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that, uh, you know, there's some changes that's come about the, Length uh, now is going to be moved up, uh, rather than having to live with the with the thirty nine eleven or thirty four eleven. In a lot of cases, it's now up to to forty nine eleven uh, for Newfoundland and Labrador, and that's consistent with what's been happening in the Maritimes um, that came about uh, last year. So there should be some changes, but I mean, uh, like quite simply, um, you know, fish harvesters out there have been and owner operators have been, you know, having to. Uh, Remove as as much as just two inches sometimes, uh, cut their bows, cut their sterns, uh, do all kinds of contortions to their vessel that immediately affects that stability issue again, and uh, you know we we saw a huge um, uh, spike in accidents, uh, you talk about the moratorium and the effect that it that, that it had in a lot of uh, various aspects, but in 1992, as the uh, cod moratorium came about, uh, f- f- fishermen, fish harvesters had to move, do different species, move farther offshore, especially, and in the process, they required, you know, different kinds of vessels, larger vessels, if you will, uh, but uh, DFO just did not keep up with the times and uh, fish management and said, no, nope, no larger vessels. As a matter of fact, if you try to do this, you try to do that, uh, you know, it'll be against uh, the law to do it. And it's actually taken decades. It's taken decades uh, to convince uh, fish management to, you know, to, to not make these changes and, and create uh, you know, the kinds of uh, contortions, as I mentioned, to vessels that would uh, that would aff- affect their stability. I, I could never understand, could never see uh, any rhyme or reason uh, of why it was done. They talk about capacity issues, for example, um, but, uh, you know, if they wanted to, uh, you know, restrict capacity issues, then why not, uh, you know, look at the whole of the vessel or something like that? I mean, you know, DFO, and talk about communications between the two, DFO and Transport Canada, who has the mandate for safety, uh, simply can't agree on how you measure a vessel. I mean, so if they can't agree on how you measure a vessel, how are they supposed to agree on doing something effective, you know, to prevent accidents from happening out there? But thank God, uh, you know, we've got it up to 49.11 now. That still doesn't solve, you know, all of of what's happening out there, but it's going to be a large measure to, to go towards that, and and hopefully we'll see a reduction now over the, over the coming years. But that's not the end of it. There for sure.
1: No, and you're not going to see a vessel suddenly lengthened out. It's going to, the mm. changes are going mm. to be made over time. And you're, you're you know rightfully so. You pointed out the the absolutely ridiculous um, the sight of of uh, fish harvesters or enterprise owners uh, up in the dry dock, literally with a with a, ha- <laughs> with a saw yeah. sawing yeah. off the nose of the just yeah. insane
0: it is for sure and look they they did uh, that lives have been lost countless lives uh, have been lost and, and that's pretty darn serious uh but uh, you know and, and the other part of it is that literally I was, I was going to say hundreds of thousands of dollars have been expended uh by uh uh, 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 fish harvesters with their, with their vessels to to uh, have compliance with the rules and regulations. I mean, with the stroke of a pin in Ottawa, you know, someone says, okay, you know, uh, 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 shave six inches off your vessel, and uh, before it's all done, you know, they could be up to fifty, sixty thousand dollars to make that modification, and still not uh, and still have its stability uh, uh, left in the balance. You know, so so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty insane. So. I mean that's on the fish management side of it uh, uh you know there 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 are many other uh, avenues to look at as well I mean uh in fact CNL uh at Express View put a news release out uh, uh, taking the position with his membership that uh, we need to we need an inquiry to look at all the various aspects of, of safety at sea given all the fatalities that's been happening out there we, you know we there used to be lots of inquiries in the maritime industry, and you know, I'll go back. I think about the fishing vessel Barocadina, which was lost off uh, off Portobello. Uh, the the uh, the Cape Royal, for example, the Arctic Explorer. The list just goes on and on. And there's been a major uh, set of uh, of standards and guidelines and regulatory requirements that uh, that 's been derived from these inquiries, and uh, you know it serves as a great terms of reference. Uh, you know, going forward to to make some of these corrections. I mean, on the fishing vessel safety side, from a DFO fish management perspective, I mean that's that's one component. The other is is you know alerting, prevention, the search and rescue part. You know, the the courage of uh, the 406 uh, EPIRBs, for example, alerting device that you know once it's triggered and it doesn't have to be triggered uh, manually; it can be done automatically uh, once it's uh, immersed in the in the water and you know within two or three minutes. Uh, you know, there's a signal from a satellite that says, you know, a certain vessel is, uh, is is in distress. Uh, we have the name of the vessel. We have a location. We have all kinds of particulars on that vessel. It's just amazing the amount of information that comes in. It's declared in distress. Uh, aircraft would be launched. Surface craft would be launched just by having a 406 EPER, but yet we have countless countless uh, vessels out there uh that is going without the eherbs, likewise you know the uh, transport safety board uh t- during the Sarah han investigation talked about uh hydrostatically released um mechanisms to re- to to release. Uh, life rafts uh, from vessels without having to do it manually. Uh, you know, th- these are not installed on on an awful lot of vessels that's out there. The carriage of immersion suits. Uh, the the list just goes on and on and on, and and yet we can't seem to understand you know, why this is not happening. I don't think that uh, fish harvesters are blatantly ignoring something they know the difference of. I think there are other things that, uh, that we need to, you know, to put our... Uh, uh, ourselves to work on to try to understand this better and to, to better uh, address it, in, especially within the scope of prevention programs, you know?
1: And and let's explore that a little bit more when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is Maritime Safety Advocate Merv Wiseman. We'll be back right after this.
2: Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels, newsmakers, weather and more.
1: Join us on your VOCM at noon. Our guest today is Maritime Safety Advocate Advocate Merv Wiseman. and just before the break, Merv, you were talking about uh, E-Perbs and immersion suits and hydrostatically released life rafts, and some vessels have them, other vessels don't. I know that the tragedy off the south east coast of Labrador led to the distribution of E-Perbs to um, quite a number of uh, fishing enterprises in that particular area, but uh, you say it's it's not a, a matter of uh, uh, fish harvesters and enterprise owners willfully ignoring you know safety regulations or rules what what do you think is at play here when when vessels are going out without some of this uh, equipment
0: I I, you know I talked about prevention programs the importance of it and having an effective one I, I think it it has more to do with the awareness and understanding the education if you will of of what uh, these devices means uh, to to them i mean i'm i 'm familiar with it. I was a rescue coordinator, and i've seen too many examples of people who who simply didn 't have them and i 've seen the effectiveness of of them and because of that if i if I were to go to see today. On a fishing vessel, if it wasn't carrying a 406 uh, EPIRB, uh, I would take my own. I would register it and so on. In fact, I think so much about an eperb. You know, I've said jokingly to people that I think so much about it I would take it into bulk with me every night. I'd put lipstick on it and I'd kiss it. You know, I just I just, – it is just uh, an amazing tool. But, you know, I, I just don't think that the majority – of owner operators out there uh, understand uh, and I'm just talking about you know the perb itself but many of the safety uh, tools, the equipment that that's out there I don't think they understand the full scope of it from how it's activated, uh, you know, the, the the cost of it uh, and how it's received on the other end and the benefits that would accrue to them. So, I don't think it's rocket science to change all of that, but but it's 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 not happening. Um, you know, there there was a time when we had prevention programs out there but these programs have been depleted and, and deleted from uh, and, you know I'm, and i use transport canada as a prime example i mean they have watered down and diluted the role of the opposite of boating safety to the point where it's just practically useless today we used i know when i started uh in the 1980s without dating myself too much late 1970s we had prevention programs uh you know tied in uh to, uh, you know, the Canadian Coast Guard to Transport Canada. Uh, and we used to do search and rescue follow-up where there's a search and rescue. We'd have people go out and, and we'd do the follow-up and so on. This stuff, it just simply don't happen these days. And uh, for the life of me, I I don't understand that. And I know that Transport Canada in many cases have tried to, you know, has tried to to design itself in a way that uh, they can function without having sufficient personnel. But there's been a serious depletion of the resources available, the people that's available to get out and to liaison and to work with with fish services out there and have them understand the importance of this. And even, quite frankly, to the point where it becomes comes a regulatory requirement to do the monitoring to say, "Hey, look, you're not carrying it, and you're required to." And and you know, let's let's get down to brass tacks here and uh, and enforce it if if you have to. I mean, we're we're really enforcing the saving of lives here. You know, it's not a frivolous item. So. Um Easy, I, I think it's easy to see w- where it's gone, but it's not very easy to turn it around. You know, it was easy to see and understand the issues around vessel size restrictions, but it wasn't very easy to see and understand why we couldn't turn it around. It took us about four decades to do it. So uh, again, I, I, you know, and this is why when we talk about an inquiry, that uh, that we need some accountability. We need uh, we need a commission of inquiry to call people to account and to to better understand the dynamics of what's happening between departments, for example, at uh, Transport Canada, who's got the mandate for for safety and and DFO, who's got the fish management, and quite frankly, the shortcomings that still exist in search and rescue and search and rescue response times. I mean, if you're looking looking at Labrador, one of the, the big issues that came out of that and was an issue before was the fact that, you know, there is no air resources anywhere within the proximity of the area where, say, where the island lady went down there's still nothing there and there's still no primary resources from a surface standpoint uh there would be a, there'd be more price to to pay for that we got response times uh you know from from the air resources for example weekends and after hours where it's changed from a half an hour standby posture to two hours that's that's sticking out like a like a sore thumb so God knows uh, there's an awful lot of, account- of accountability that needs to be brought out that can only be brought out in the Commission of Inquiry. You know, it just won't happen. The Transport Safety Board is not designed, uh, you know, to bring those kinds of things out. So... So why not? Let's do it. You know, we struggled so hard uh, uh, with issues in and, and uh, land uh, search and rescue, ground search and rescue. We just had an inquiry, um, and we saw the results from it, Linda. I mean, the results are staggering. All of a sudden, you know, we got over a million-dollar budget allocated, you know, to some of the shortcomings that they had there. We've got the issues of... Uh, of, uh, you know, emotional uh, uh, stress, uh, uh, you know, mental issues uh, uh, being addressed and insurance issues being addressed and recruitment being addressed. All of these things happen. I mean, that's a very positive outcome from uh, a, a, a restrictive um, um, uh, inquiry, for example, because under that inquiry we couldn't look at the maritime part because, uh, you know, it's got federal jurisdiction and all that kind of stuff. So so I just uh, came I can't uh, emphasize enough uh, the importance of having the kind of inquiry that's needed to, to bring all of this to, to, uh, to the forefront and, to, and to, to, to bring accountability and some bearing on those responsible for affecting it and to try to see if we can stop, uh, you know, some of these deaths occurring at sea.
1: It would need to be federal in scope, though, no?
0: It definitely would have to be federal in scope. I mean, when you look at uh, maritime search and rescue, completely different from ground search and rescue, where it has provincial territorial uh, jurisdiction, and uh, yes, a significant amount of federal involvement, but uh, primarily it falls, you know, within the purview, within the judicial uh, purview and mandate of provinces. But federally, when it comes to maritime search and rescue, it's, uh, you know, it's a shared relationship between... uh, the Department of National Defence and, and Canadian Coast Guard, DFO, and so uh, you know it has to be it has to be federal. That doesn't mean that it uh, it 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 shouldn't be supported b- by the province. Clearly, the province has, has a big stake in this, and um, and you know we we were hoping that the province. Would bring pressure the bear um, when we re- did our release calling for an inquiry. When I say we, I'm talking about CNL um, or uh, uh, CNL, I should say. And um, and so, what's going to happen federally? We've got an acknowledgement of uh, of the request gone forward, but uh, there's certainly nothing to indicate there will be some movement on it at this point, Linda.
1: My guest today on On Target is uh, Maritime Safety Advocate Merv Wiseman. Will be back right after this.
2: Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show.
1: And our guest today is maritime safety advocate Merv Wiseman, and Merv, right off the top there, you had mentioned uh, that one of the recommendations, in fact the only recommendation in the uh, report into the sinking of the Sarah Ann was that uh, vessels be registered with the Transportation Safety Board, and you mentioned that there's some real problems when it comes to communication between DFO and the Transportation Safety Board. Why is registering with the TSB so important?
0: Well, if if you follow the line of thinking under the Transport Safety Board, uh, that if that registration takes place, then it's a, a lot easier because DFO has got all the pertinent data. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Transport Canada would have all the pertinent data and contact information that would be needed to then, uh, you know, execute what they have to execute with the with, with with the owner operators, you know, to send safety bulletins, reminders, awareness programs, and all these kinds of things um it's a little lost on me quite frankly because i i don't quite follow it like that because um there are a lot of vessels registered uh you know there's a lot not but there's a lot registered and i've talked to I, i've gone out of my way or since that recommendation came out to say hey look you have you been registered uh you know uh, I know a certain person in, in this uh, community who was a fish harvester for over 30 years uh, said, yeah, I've been, I've been registered with uh, Transport Canada for 30 years and I've yet to receive an email or a message or anything on safety like it doesn't, it's, it's just not registering, so what's going to happen all of a sudden if everybody gets registered, w- which is not a difficult thing to do by the way, I mean all it takes uh, in the registration as one family member uh, you know, in Saint Lawrence talked about when the loss of the Sierra Is that all they have to do when we do it, our registration for DFO is to put a link there to uh, Transport Canada, and bingo, we have it. <laughs> you know, so it's such a simple thing to do. And by the way, there there is there's been a, a memorandum, a formal memorandum of understanding that was developed right back to 2010 between uh, DFO and Transport Canada on dealing with safety issues. So they've had this form MOU that was updated again, I think it was 2017, and put into effect that said, look, we will share information. We will come up with innovative ideas on safety and so on. So, so where's that? You know, Did they blow that up or what? Because it doesn't seem to exist in any fashion. I don't know. I just simply don't understand what uh, they expect to achieve, given the background of MOUs and other things by having that registration there. I'm not not trying to say it shouldn't be. Of course it should be. But, uh, you know, let's understand that uh, this is not just nothing more than a paper exercise. There has to be something much more proactive uh, than this by the agencies responsible for, uh, you know, for safety, especially for the people. Who's got, the, who's got the mandate for safety. And the other, th- the other thing about the, uh, the, the, the Transport Safety Board reports, and they always profile it, uh, in all of their reports, uh, is the fact that they have had this problem. It's such a huge problem that it's been reserved for what they call their watch list. There are only two items on the Transport Safety Board watch list. one has to do with uh, with uh, with large passenger vessels, ferries, for example, and 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 some of the safety equipment on that. Uh, but the one that's out in front is the fact that. Uh, Fish and vessel safety continues to take the lives that it's taken, the most dangerous uh, occupation, commercial occupation in the world today. And, and they, they, they can't seem to change it. So it's under watch list. And uh, so now they've got this recommendation how to get registration improved between uh, a DFO and Church for Canada. And now they're going to watch that. Like, boys, it's time to stop watching. It's time to do some proactive work. And it, it, it can be done. There's all kinds of measures that can be done to, to improve that. So it's not going to be done by watching it, I can assure you that. And, and quite frankly, it's not going to be done just by having registration in and of itself. It's got to go much deeper than that.
1: Um, these lives that have been lost and families forever changed, how, how do we compare to other uh, fishing nations like uh, in the U.K. or Iceland or uh, Scandinavia or uh, the U.S. even for that matter?
0: Uh, no, it's a look. It it it's a global problem. Let there be no doubt about it. it, it it's a global problem. Uh, the uh, the Canadian. Uh, I don't have the statistics. In fact, that would be a program in and of itself. Uh, I do know that Iceland has had uh, had had major success uh, with uh, with their search and rescue program and some of their alerting tools and and ways and means of executing. Um, and we, we do know that the response time, for example. Have been uh, much greater than Canada in places like Britain and in Norway, Sweden, uh, places like that. Certainly, in the in the modern world, uh, you know, and in the EU, uh, the EU, for example, the, the member states of the EU have carried out significant efforts uh, uh, to create incentives uh, and to to take the uh, monetary burden away from from the harvesters of having to purchase equipment for example so they've equipped the vessels and so on so there's a significant amount of work that's going on as, as to the numbers and and whether they're 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 worse than or better i, I just don't have those numbers at, at this point but uh, it it's not lost on all the countries that uh, you named there uh, the issue that uh, that we have and, and certainly how serious that it, it, it's been taken
1: with Merv, we have uh, about three minutes left. Any final thoughts?
0: Well, you know, I, I have to to, to to keep going back. I'm, I'm sorry if, if you know if, if I'm repeating myself too much. I have to keep going back now to the need for a maritime for a commission of inquiry to uh, To bring all of this to the forefront in in the four key areas that we're we're talking about, and that's on the fish management and the impacts that fish management will have on safety, the Transport Canada regulations, you know where that is, where it could be going, where it could be taken, and safety at sea, of course, which you know which which encompasses all the the programs, the prevention programs that we're talking about, and the search and rescue pieces to make sure that uh, we have all of the of the gaps uh, covered off. Bring it all to the forefront. Uh, uh, and have that commission inquiry full disclosure and uh, uh you know the appointment of, of, of commissioners uh who can who can investigate and has got the empowerment to call witness and so on and so forth it it's uh, it's been so long overdue now and it's so important uh to get to get at and get to the heart of uh of of the issues that we 're talking about that i don't see at this stage any other way of, of, of doing it you know we had the senate report uh uh fabian manning of course uh, cheered that but it was all party uh if you will somewhat independent if you can consider Uh, The Senate independent uh, from from government, but it was a good report and there were really good recommendations. And uh, the Senate, uh, when they released the report, I think it was 2018, uh, covered off all the same areas that you and I talked about today. Really, it's not new items, but they continue to. You know, it's so insidious. They continue uh, to manifest itself in the the loss of lives. And and I I think the closest I can come, because we have no other mechanism available to us, the closest I think we can come to having full disclosure and to addressing it properly and all of its components, it may not be perfect, uh, is to have uh, a commission inquiry that is uh, jointly shared between the province and the federal government so that we don't don't leave any areas uh, unsolved. I think that would be that would be the the, the point that I would want to keep uh, reiterating more than anything until we get that.
1: Merv Wiseman I do appreciate your time this afternoon thanks very much.
0: Well, it was a a pleasure. Thank you so much. Such an important issue. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Linda.
1: And uh, that's maritime safety advocate Merv Wiseman. When we come back tomorrow, we're going to talk about Craft Hockeyville. We've got an NHL game coming to Newfoundland and Labrador. We've got the Stanley Cup coming. Oh, my goodness. Exciting times for for sure. So uh, stay tuned for that. And of course, throughout the course of the afternoon, we'll give you the latest on uh, this breaking news that came out just before the show started. Chief Electoral Officer and Commissioner for Legislative Standards. Uh, Bruce Chalk has been suspended. VOCM's Richard Duggan is at Confederation Building as we speak, getting the latest from Justice Minister John Hogan. Stay tuned for everything throughout the course of the afternoon, and we'll be back tomorrow.